0: I've got a business that works on my terms um, and helps me have balance in my life, gives me what I need, uh, might not make me the richest man in the world, but I'm, I'm one of the happiest and I love what I do and everyone else loves what they do and everyone's bought into it.
1: This is The Crackling, I'm Anthony Huckstep. In Australia, the humble sandwich is part and parcel of many diets, but when it comes to sandwiches, Italy's panino and its many iterations are hard to beat. For Peter Mastro, the vision of his panino bar began as a child. Peter, how are you?
0: Very well. How are you?
1: I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You've got a cracking venue there in uh, Melbourne. How are things going?
0: Yeah, good. Melbourne's, uh, it's coming back, probably not at the rate we'd like, but Melbourne is definitely back and um, in a reasonable capacity.
1: Amazing. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing there.
0: So basically, um, we uh, live the dream every day. Uh, we're pretty lucky. We, we, well, we, we've, we, we set up this business uh, on our terms. Uh, let's go back about nine years ago. Uh, It's a long story, but uh, I used to have a cafe and wine bar in Middle Park, and we had a little bit of success with our homemade salami and the first Melbourne salami festival that used to go on in Melbourne. And I felt like sharing all those flavours with my customers who had never had the opportunity to tap into that style of food, that homemade artisanal salami, copper, all that kind of stuff. So I put on a day for them. We basically did panini with salami, porchetta, salsicha, uh, and we may have done pork cotoletta as well, to be honest. Um, and, And the response was unbelievable. I mean, to me, it's things that I grew up in day in, day out, and I took for granted, but these... The crowd there had never been able to tap into it, so we shared it with them. It was a raging success, and from there we did a a primary school fete to doing uh, the Royal Melbourne Show, to doing Carlton Festival, Food and Wine Festivals, to opening up a shop, and here we are now today with two shops and a third one on the way.
1: Wow, that's extraordinary. Uh, Tell us a bit about the shops. What are you you doing with them?
0: So basically uh, they are, I mean, I like to say our childhood on a plate. So basically everything on the menu is us sharing the flavors uh, that we want to share the way we want to share them. Um, Pork plays a massive influence, always has. um, And I'm sure we'll go deeper into that later. But basically it's salumi, cheese, uh, prosciutto, everything in a panino form. I mean, it was a daily staple growing up. Uh, and we get the opportunity to share it. So basically everything on the menu, and there's actually a story between pretty much between every penino you know, on the menu. There's, there's a reason for it. There's a story behind it. Uh, there's a sense to it. It's not just uh, something we've just made up to, to make it Instagrammable. There's a reason for everything we do and the way we do it. Um, and, then, and and Melbourne has just absolutely latched on. It did have its challenges at the start, and a lot of people could even say what eight years ago, didn't know what it was. Now it's, uh, our Monte della Cornetto in the morning is probably one of our biggest sellers. Like, it's unbelievable. So Melbourne's bought into us, they've bought into who we are and what we do, and they're no longer coming in for asking me if I do eggs on toast. They're happy to eat what we give them, and they'll try a pancetta, an egg, panino, um, and it's amazing. It's special. It's good feeling.
1: Well, I want to explore sort of all of the different sorts of small goods that you make and obviously what you're doing there as well in the venues. But take us back to when you were young. Um, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you?
0: Role uh, uh, well, food's a massive part of my life, probably a little bit too much. I uh, grew up in the, in the western suburbs of Melbourne, um, always, and it's not, a, it's not an untrue story. Every single day of my schooling life, I had a salami, bread sandwich that's a a fact I wouldn't I wouldn't steer away from it I wouldn't have ham I wouldn't have I mean my mum used to sneak in some strass once in a while but I grew up eating salami and bread Italian households um, both my parents uh, well both my sets of grandparents immigrated from Italy brought a lot of those traditions with them unfortunately a lot of my grandparents passed away when I was quite young so I then missed out on a few of the traditions, the, the, the homemaking of the salami. I mean, we did a lot of, we made the sook and we did a lot of stuff, but there was a few gaps in there that I never got to tap into that later as a young adult, call it, you know, 18 to 20, I, I really wanted to get back into that and I wanted to embrace it because I'd missed out on it. Uh, and that's basically where the homemade salami passion took it took up a notch and where we just said, okay, I'm too old to not know how to make salami now. Let's work it out. So my best friend at the time, who was my business partner and brother-in-law, Frank, uh, his father used to make homemade salami and we basically sat him down and said, listen, buddy, we need to learn, teach us. And he did. And it was just a beautiful experience. And basically who we are today all started with that. But however, obviously improved you know, we, we took their approach and they put our flavour on it. You know, they would measure one double handful of meat for one fistful of salt. There was no weighing, <laughs> there was no measuring. Like, it was so random. Uh, but that was the beauty of it. it we, we, we couldn't believe that this is how they did it. Um, so from there, we, we, we really embraced it. And then we took it to the next level and made salami review, made bigger batches, made pancetta, made copocolo uh, We measured it, we weighed it, we we... we, we took notes on how much salt we put, how much fennel we put to the point where we developed a, Let's roast the fennel. Let's see what that does. Uh, and, and yeah, to got to a point where we had a product that we, my God, absolutely can't get enough of.
1: Well, take us back to those early years when you first started making salamis. Um, was there, was there a bit of trial and error? Were there some successes and failures you can tell us about?
0: Was were some massive failures, absolutely massive failures. Um, the success was 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 basically just understanding the concept and and being able to be a part of it. That for, for us was number one. Quality came later, um, and as as we improved, as we you know got the balance right of salt, got the balance right of the wine that we put in, the type of wine. Um, but the success was the, the process. It was that there was that once a year, all the boys in the garage, uh, all generations from young to old, the banter. And, 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 and it's funny because just recently it's gone full circle. All the young boys would tease the old boys because they talk about their ailments all day. And now we've found that we're the old guys talking about our sore arms and shoulders and we've got to see a doctor for this. And that's what we used to do. That was the best part of it. Uh, and then from there, you know, you, you learn these little things along the way that um, they would get, they would leave nothing behind. This whole full circle, use the whole pig thing is something that we never understood um, use the neck for your copper, you know. Use the belly for your pancetta, and th- um, they wasted nothing. Huck. they wasted nothing. I'm talking the ear, the tail, the horse, everything else that was left over went into a pot, and they cooked the living shit out, or the living life out of it. Sorry for swearing. They kicked the life out of it. Added lots of salt, and they made um, this. They used to call it lardo, and it was just this big pot of salty uh, boiled pork. And they would eat it in the, the day. And we just couldn't believe it. But, you know, this is what they came from. This is what they knew. We don't waste any pig. We don't waste any product. This is, uh, you know, sustainable wasn't a word back then, but it's what they did. So these are the bonuses of of doing it in the garage and what we learned. And then obviously there's the failures as well. So the failures were those years that we'd we'd do a big batch and and then we'd get some case hardening and then they'd dry too quick and then they'd go mouldy inside and we'd have to throw 150, 200 kilos of pork in the bin. They were the hard ones. Very
1: tough. Take us through the process sort of in those days of making sort of one of the small goods and, you know, and what it took to to get it right and that sort of, because there's quite a lot of time as well involved.
0: Yes, and and, and pressure because, you know, the guys that hang it, they're the ones that take all the pressure. So we got to a point where we had nine families, uh, you know, so day one would be cutting up the pork, cleaning it up, uh, and then mincing it and then seasoning it. We'd let it sit for 24 hours, come back the next day, and that would be the night that we would stuff the sausages, um, tie them up, prick them, store them again, another 24 hours, cover them up. Then the next day again is the day you hang them. So it's a lot of work. And, you know, when you're doing 250, 300 kilos, it's it's a lot of salamis. My poor dad lost his garage for years. And you, you know the smell's intense. So it's quite it's quite a process um, and, and, and just the process of learning from it every year and saying, okay, well, maybe we, we didn't mix it enough. We should mix it more. Uh, maybe, we, you know, like I said about the fennel, we've we, we got a revelation. we decided to start roasting our fennel, brought out heaps more flavour. Um, but it's a lot of work. It's messy work. I'm fortunate that I've always been in hospitality and I've had commercial kitchens for us to do it in. We did, back in the day, started in the garage uh, it'd be freezing cold. Your hands would be in freezing cold meats. Uh, you'd be out there from, you know, you could start at six in the morning and not finish till three, four in the afternoon. It's a long day. Um, and it's messy. It's messy. Very messy job. But, you know, you love it. You love it. And 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 frying up, something very special about frying up fresh salami meat on the day to taste it and sample it, it's just, it just evokes this emotion and these memories of your youth, and it's just the flavour and the smell because there's, there's so much salt in there. It's obviously it's, it's too salty to, to normally eat, but you do because it's it's so special. You only you do it once a year. So we we'll always fry up a bit. There's always some bread lying around. Um, someone would boil some pasta, we'd just throw the mince on the pasta and absolutely smash a plate of that. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a festival. Yeah, it went on for two, three days, and, yeah, it was special.
1: You mentioned that you you sort of started making product and then you became quite happy with what you were creating and you started doing different festivals and markets and things like that. What was a real turning point for you uh, in regards to, you know, your brand and the product?
0: Probably the fact, I mean, I'd been in hospitality for a while, but probably the fact that I I saw an opportunity and with my brother-in-law, who was an ex-banker and who wanted to do something he loved and something he he was passionate about. <clears throat> you know, banking can't be invigorating, but there's something special about sharing who you are with other people. And you wanted to do something he loved. And we saw an opportunity to have a business that would allow us to do that. Like not a lot of people get to live that dream and just share what they want to do and, and own it. Uh, so it was a big revelation. And to see people buy into it and and love it and then share their stories and then, you know, little simple things. We would do the cafeteria So, if you know, the Italian stovetop coffee, we would do a cafeteria coffee. Now, nine out of ten people wouldn't, A, wouldn't know what it is or B, think, oh, that's a pretty crappy product. You just have that at home because that's all you can make. But we said, no, we want to share this. This is special. This is not just a crappy product. This is, this is our youth. This is our childhood. This is what we have with our parents and our grandparents. And to see people order that, they've never had one before and love it and buy into it, it's always been amazing. It's always made us feel really special. And now to do it on the scale that we're doing it, you know, large corporate functions, uh, we've done weddings, we've done birthdays, product launches, opening of galleries, like, and for them to want to have us there, ah, oh, so good, so good. And I love a chat, so for me it's perfect. And I get to, I get to do things, different things all day. It's not... One-dimensional. It's the cafe one day, it's an event one day, it's a coffee cart one day, it's a a podcast one day, like it's grouse, how lucky am I?
1: Tell us a little bit about your hospitality career sort of leading up to all of this. Um, what were the sort of really key sort of venues for you?
0: It's funny because it's it never started in hospitality, so I've always been around it. Um, my dad was in fruit and vegetable wholesale. Uh, we were in liquor retail and wholesale distribution, Uh, and then it was an opportunity where uh, Dad and I wanted to get into a business, and we found a wine bar in Middle Park, and my dad's been a wine merchant many, many years ago, and food being a massive part of our life, uh, we took the opportunity. We had a wine bar in Middle Park for 10 years, Um, so always sort of has been in my DNA, Um, whether it's wine, whether it's salami food pasta pizza not even that it's Japanese food it's Indian food I mean I love it all I'm not biased not by any means um and then yeah it's just it's just always been in the culture it's always been around us Uh, my dad growing up was the cook in the house um you know some of my best Mondays my best sorry my best memories are a Sunday sugo you know you get up Sunday morning he'd put the pot on and that smell would be wafting through the house all day, and you knew that at half past 12, one o'clock, you're going to be eating some sauce with some really soft meat, and it was just going to blow your mind. And just, just what a beautiful smell on a Sunday morning. Do you know what I mean? You just can't beat it. And they, this is just part of our who we are. It was always going to happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Take us back to the time when you started to create saluministi <laughs> Wow, it's a mouthful. Um, and it's a mouthful to eat there, I hear. Um, take us back to that time when you were creating it and, um, you know, coming up with the menu, what was that period of time like for you sort of, you know, with the memories that you had as well?
0: Yeah, well, it, well, it was a little difficult in the sense that, you know, we, we'd done some festivals, we'd done some events, And we knew it's one thing to go to an event and sell to a pochetta roll and a cotoletta roll because it's pretty basic. But to make it a sustainable business model, what are people going to want to come back for every day? I mean, I always say, again, with the word sustainable, but I find that we came up with a formula that made our business sustainable in the sense that, you know, you can't have a burger every day. Right, so you can't go to a burger shop every day. But we want you to come to Saluministi every day and have an option. So, you, okay, you might not have a porchetta or cotoletta roll every day, but you can have a prosciutto roll. You can have a salami roll. And we wanted a range of things that, that were going to resonate with everyone and going to be something that, you, you, you know, you, you could always come back to. So um, the, the name Saluministi was a, a made-up name that I come up with for the Melbourne Salami Festival that we used to enter our salami with. Uh, and if you're Italian, you'll know what it means. You know, always, it's, it's, it's someone who's passionate about all things salumi slash salami. Uh, use it in the sense that, you know, if, if you want a feed a bath in Italy, they call you an abattisti. So why not saluministi? You know, I, I tried it on a few Italians and they understood it and they got it. And I tried it on a few non-Italians and looked at me like I was speaking Swahili. Which, in a sense, we loved because then i say, okay, let's Google it. So we see the word didn't exist. There was no Google researchers. There was no hashtags. There was nothing. Now, the Italians in Italy are hashtagging Saluministi. For a couple of little blokes here in Melbourne, it's become a word that people know and use now. And it's great because it, 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 it makes you think twice. It, my mum still can't bloody pronounce it, but that's another story together. You have to try a couple of times to pronounce it, but I love it because people give it a go. Resonates in their head. They're still thinking about it. But so, so, so yeah, yeah, keep going. Gets a bit That's great. So um, we basically sat down and said, okay, what do we love? We love Cotoleta. So let's do a Cotoleta roll. Uh <laughs> Not specific something we grew up with as much because I didn't have grandparents to cook porchetta, but it was something we loved and something that's so Italian and something we wanted to share and wasn't really getting done well in Melbourne at the time. So that's where the porchetta roll come from. The salsiccia is is probably the most beautiful out of all of them in the sense that the salsiccia panino is our homemade salami recipe. So every year when we made homemade salami, we would make a batch with less salt and keep them as sausages and and, and eat them on the barbecue. I'm like, bloody hell, that's a good sausage. Literally, to this day, and it's funny because I posted a picture of the guys making it yesterday, yesterday on Instagram. They still make it where they get all the mints, put it all on the bench like we used to do in the garage, sprinkle all the herbs, sprinkle all the sauce, sprinkle all the wine, mix it up, and we make our own sausages. So that's, that's a recipe that's, you know, 30-plus years old that we make in-house all day, every day with our hands. So that's that's special. Uh, the salami panino that's on the menu today is a salami roll that um, I used to order every single Tuesday. Was Tuesday's always been my day off forever and a day, and I used to go to Ligon Food Store. I don't know if you remember Ligon Food Store. I used to have all the prosciutto on the roof, yeah? So I knew the family there. Every single Tuesday, Peter would go there, have a panino, drink, have a coffee, and that's who I was. So I love that panino so much that I make it, and I share it with everybody today, and everybody loves it. So literally a story behind, behind everything. Um, yeah, they're, they're the main ones.
1: <laughs> you use a lot of pork. Um, tell us about sort of, you know, how much pork you're going through. Are you getting whole pigs in and do you have connections with specific farmers?
0: Yeah, so we, we, I, I'd like to do a little bit more of that, but, you know, with life and business and kids and families, we don't get that opportunity to connect as much as you like, but we do make a conscious effort to use Victorian pork, free-range pork. We get the whole middle in. So our porchetta, where a lot of people won't keep the loin in, we do. So we roll up the whole middle. Um, we would probably do, I'm going to say, three whole porchettas a day. So it's 15 a week plus one on a side. So we're doing about 16 full middles a week. It's a lot of pork. So it's between two shops. And we roll them, tie them ourselves, cook them every single day. 6 a.m. the pork goes in. It's ready by about 10, 10.30. I hand deliver it to our Flinders Lane store. So they've got fresh hot porchetta every single day. Sits under the heat lamp. They shave it on the slicer. So that's that presents a challenge as it is because you've got hot, fat pork going everywhere. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's something else. Yeah, it's freshly cooked, slow-cooked pork that is sliced on the spot every day and they go mad for it you know we'd sell three or four porchettas to one any other panino wow
1: well what's what's the secret to a porchetta like what's the process you go through to make great porchetta
0: yeah absolutely um so as i said keep the loin in uh we don't want to waste it uh, obviously it's a lot cheaper just to use the belly but we, we don't want that we want them to get the full experience um and then basically our ingredients we don't use garlic uh, we find it's a bit intense so roasted fennel thyme rosemary lots of salts all the salts pepper and we use a bit of dry vermouth just to uh, give it a little bit extra love massage it in roll it up tie it score it uh, and then we, we let it sit in the fridge for a few days before we cook it so it can dry up a little bit unwrapped so the skin's nice and dry so when it goes in the oven She's ready to go and obviously crackle, crackle, crackle. Everybody loves crackle. Part of the pun. This is the the crackling. But, you know, without it, you've got nothing. Uh, So we make a very conscious effort that every single panino gets a piece of crackle in there that when they get to the middle of that roll and they cut through it, they they lose their minds. It needs to be in there. And cook it slow, you know, slow and and steady wins the race. If we rushed it, it it just wouldn't work.
1: Do you you have a a one or two favourite, uh, small goods that you make that you can take us through, and um, how you make it, and what's so what's so special about them?
0: Uh, well, our homemade salami is probably our greatest hero. Uh, in our later age, we don't do the big, massive, fat, long ones anymore. We like to keep to a natural casing, keep it simple, small, traditional, really Italian-looking cacciatorri-style salami. So that's probably our favourite. Uh, we use fennel. It's it's kind of you. You like fennel, or you don't like fennel. Um, there's two types of people in the world. We love it, so we make sure there's fennel and we make sure there's chili. Hands down, it's a, it's a fennel and chili um, hybrid. So it's not particularly Sicilian to use fennel, but we love it. Absolutely love it. And again, that key is to roast it. And being in the natural casings, being smaller, it leaves a lot less opportunity for you to lose the salami and for it to get, you know, dry unevenly, to get your case hardening on the outside, for it to rot in the middle. You know, you can cure a a cacciatore in three and a half to four weeks, but the the, the times we did throw salami out, we were doing long ones, big ones, they were, you know, 40, 50 mil wide. It just presents more challenges. Um, But then on top of that, things like uh, copagola, something that's really not appreciated. We used to make our own copa. It's really basic. It's really easy to make. It's it's pretty hard to stuff up. So we love that. Uh, we've done guanciale. We've done pancetta. But for me, it's it's the humble salami. You just can't get beat it. You can't replicate it. You can't buy it. It's it, and it's got to be homemade. Unfortunately, we, we, when we started the business, we weren't sure whether we we're going to sell salami or whether we we're going to have a Benino Teca, So we actually went to Sydney went through the process of creating a commercial batch of our homemade salami with nitrates. Uh, the final product got Cryovac and sent to Melbourne. We cut it open, we ate it, and we're like rang up the producer and said, something's wrong. This isn't our salami. He's like, yeah it is. I'm like, it's not. I promise this is not what ours tastes like. And the flavor was so different. So different. So you know, once you introduce the nitrates, it just absolutely seems to shock the meat and just blows it out of proportion. It was amazing how it just didn't taste like us. I'm like, what is that? That's not our product. We brought, you know, sauce. We brought fennel all the way to New South Wales on the plane to make sure we made the exact one, yeah? And then when it come back, it just, that's not right, which is very disappointing. So, you know, it is it is what it is. We can't produce it commercially like that, and we know that, and it uh, breaks my heart. Um, but we still make it so we can eat it and we can still share it. Yeah. I'll do a couple of little tastings, cheeky tastings here and there at the shop. If we've got a function, it's a customer I like, I'll definitely throw some homemade salami and they're like, Oh my God, what is that? Um, so that's, yeah, for us, it's, it's a no brainer. Um, push it a bit too hard. I don't have the patience for that, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's, it. the whole cuts are good. The whole cuts are easy. So, pancetta, guanciale, copper, those cuts I love to make because they're quite simple in the sense you know you're going to cure it. There's, there's one surface here. You've got to cover it all with salt. Make sure you rub it all in and you have a good chance of not getting listeria and dying. So we understand salami is risky business. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to share it with our clients as much as we'd like.
1: You mentioned the popularity of mortadella, In sort of recent years, what's the secret in making great mortadella?
0: We've done that too. We've tried that. Uh, I think the secret is to buy it (laughs) because it's a (laughs) a lot of bloody work. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's a lot lot of work.
0: Um, I think get the well. When we did it, um, we did it with raw garlic, and it just absolutely just repeats. It's too strong. It's too intense. Um. But for me, I, I absolutely love Princhy Mottodella, I've been in it forever and a day. Um, there was a cheeky period where there was some motadella coming in from Italy, and unfortunately that's been pulled. Uh, if you get the chance to try some Italian motadella get into it. It's very subtle, and I think that's what's more, more beautiful about it. It needs to be really clean and just not leave that really gelatinous flavour in your mouth. The Italian stuff seems to be very chill in flavour. Uh, the, the nutmeg and, and the garlic isn't going to blow your head off you can still enjoy it. But you know, slicing Motadella Fresh straight in the mouth, it's the only way to mm. do it.
1: Amazing. Mm. You mentioned you've got a couple of stores now and so Luministi, you, you'll be opening another one soon. Tell us a little bit about the expansion and what's it what it's like managing so many sites now. Well
0: we started in North Melbourne, so we had a pop-up for twelve months in Melbourne when that was the space and we called it like our pilot store. Found our transition and we got approached to go to Docklands uh, headhunted to activate a spot in the Docklands, which in all honesty isn't the greatest spot in the world, but we've created our own miracle little place there and it's we've got it all to ourselves and we love it. So that's basically our HQ. Um, and we've also got Flinders Lane, which is a little hole in the wall. It's literally about 16 square metres. Uh, and the guys there are just absolutely bang out hundreds of rolls every day and they're amazing at it and we got to a point now where we're very comfortable in ourselves and how we work. We've just renovated a spa- one of our spaces in Docklands and built a brand new prep kitchen, which we just literally released this week. So now we've got the space and the capacity to um, supply the stores because we do a lot of the work in-house in Docklands and then distribute it to the other stores. Gave us the confidence, say, okay, let's do another one. So we love the city. We love five days. We love corporate Melbourne. So we work really well with Lendlease. So we're just about to start the build which in Melbourne Quarter, which is kind of right between the two stores. So it's kind of this golden mile down Collins Street. One's down the deep in the bo- Docklands. One's kind of right near Spencer Street, and the other one's further down towards Queen. I think the key for us and the, the will to do this now is based on our crew and who we are. Um, now everybody remembers COVID uh, Melbourne CBD is absolutely horrible during COVID uh, and you still see, can still see that trauma in the streets today I suppose we had to change our mindset in COVID and we said to ourselves okay look we're not going to make money here the suburbs are doing really well we looked to go to the suburbs and we thought no no let's just stay here own who we are and unfortunately we had a lot, no, not, not unfortunately, fortunately, we had a lot of students and a lot of internationals working for us. And if we had to close the doors, they'd have no income, nowhere to live, half of them would have to go home. So we said, okay, we're not making money, what are we going to do? We're just going to stay open, keep the doors open. How are we going to make ourselves useful? All right, let's go back to basics. Let's understand who we are, how we want to live, how we want to work, what are our values, what's our mission statement? We pulled out our old business plan, um, looked at what our vision was and really said to us, okay, if we're not going to make money, I'm going to bloody enjoy coming to work. What's it going to take to make this the ultimate workplace? We want a workplace where every single person that works here every day wakes up and wants to go to work. That's it. That's the basic. If we can achieve that, we can have a crew that we can move forward with and grow and, and enjoy what we do because I want to wake up every single day and I want to go to work. If my staff aren't happy, I can't be happy. So we went through, Frank and I went through this uh, process where we went back to basics um, and we shared that with our staff and we told them that we want this to work because, I mean, it's our families on the line, it's our careers, it's, it's the food I put on the table as much as it is yours. And... They absolutely embraced it, Um, and now we actually live day by day by our values. They're our Ten Commandments, yeah. and we make our decisions, business decisions, personal decisions, uh, staffing decisions, hiring decisions, all based on four values that we come up with, the the main one being family, and, you know, it's, it's as simple as treat people the way you want to be treated, and you'll get the respect and you'll get the best out of people. Um, I had a lot to learn myself. I mean, I'd been in hospitality a very long time. It was a massive transition for me. There's always been this massive gap where the boss and the staff and the, you know, or the, the kitchen and the floor staff don't talk and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, nah, no more. We are all on one page here. We are all family. We are all equal. Whether you wash dishes, whether you make coffee, whether I'm the boss, I talk to you the way you talk to me. And... We believe in it, and it's it's been a revelation. It's gotten us through COVID. It's it's helped us return from COVID. It's helped us recover from COVID. And without being a smartass, I told you so. Look at us now. We've just renovated our shop. We've about to open our third shop, and I have got I'm not, I promise you probably the best crew in Melbourne. These guys are unbelievable. Now Frank and I treat them as well as we would treat our kids and our wives, and we want to do that because we want them to respect us and we want to respect them, and it allows us to live the dream. Like I said earlier, have the business that we want to have and and for them to to believe in it and share it as much as we do, and I'm very confident that you can come into my shop and ask any one of my staff members if they like being there and I know what the answer is.
1: (laughs) Well, you've created the most incredible um, brand there in Melbourne. That's incredibly unique. Um, what do you love about what you do? Oh, <laughs> I get to
0: talk a lot of shit all day, every day. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I get to be me. Yeah, I get to be me. Frank and I got very, very, both very different skill sets. He's a numbers guy. I'm the one that shakes hands and kiss babies, and I love that. I love to get out and about. I, I love to talk. I love to always say I'm probably Melbourne's most overpaid courier because I'm the one that takes all the catering out but I mean I love it I go to see clients I go to other people's workplaces I deliver for friends I do everything and when I go there I get to see them and make a lot of noise drop off the food see you later I love to jump on the till for an hour and a half during the peak period of lunch I feel like I'm sometimes like the bloody conductor at the circus and I I love to make a lot of noise and scream and shout and then I just drop the mic and go (laughs) But it, it, it's, it's – I get to be me. It's it's bliss. I mean, to be in hospitality and, and love it are, are two things that don't always go together. I mean, there's a lot of people that love hospitality, but they don't always get the opportunity to really enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? So I, I love that I can do that, and I love that I can come home and switch off and, and go into dad mode and family mode, and I get the best of every world. Um, and I love that we're closed on Sundays because that's just just a rule. We could we could be open. We should be open on Sundays, but we just made a last old choice. Said, no, we close the shop on Sundays. Everybody's home. All the staff. All the family. Everybody's together on a Sunday. Yeah. So I love that I've, I've got a business that works on my terms um, and helps me have balance in my life. Gives me what I need. Um, might not make me the richest man in the world, but I'm I'm one of the happiest. And I love what I do and. Everyone else loves what they do, and everyone's bought into it.
1: Well, Peter, you're an inspiration, and it's an absolute honour to have you on the Crackling today. Thank
0: you. That's a strange thing to hear.
1: <laughs> well, please keep in touch, and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: Absolutely. Take care.
1: This is the Crackling, a deep in the weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huxstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.